this morning we're going to wrap up a sermon series that Kevin started uh, in July uh, on your soul, how's your soul, and today we're going to talk about, as we conclude, how your soul needs a future. So let's pray as we begin this morning. God, we're grateful for today. We are grateful uh, that you have given us the gift of life, the gift of community, uh, and I pray that as we conclude this series this morning, um, you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, uh, that you would speak through me a word that is true to who you are and who you're calling us to be. God, I pray that you would uh, give us all soft and receptive hearts and souls, that the, the innermost part of us would be open to hearing your voice and being changed by it. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 2003, there was a movie released called Big Fish. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, it told the story of William Bloom's search to get to know his father, Edward Bloom. Uh, and the reason why he was trying to get to know his father, Edward, is because his father was infamous for telling these larger-than-life stories growing up, and William never knew what was true and wasn't true. He never knew when his dad was giving an accurate report and an exaggerated report. And so the movie tells of his search to learn more about the truth of his father. And one of the opening scenes of the movie uh, tells one of the stories that Edward would always tell his son, and it concerned this legend of a one-eyed woman who lived in the town where he grew up. And according to his father, Edward, the legend was that the lady had a patch over one eye, and she had one eye that she could see with, but if you were to look directly into the eye under the patch, then you would see how you died. And so Edward would tell the story about how he was a young boy, and he was by a campfire one night, and his friends dared him to go up to this woman's house, knock on the door, and look into the eye underneath her patch. And so the movie shows him going up to the door as a young boy, knocking on the door. And then in the very next scene, you see Edward emerging out of the shadows back to the campfire where his friends had dared him to go up there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the woman with the one eye jumps out from behind Edward, flips up her patch, and looks directly into the eyes of all the young boys who had dared her. Be careful when you dare your friends to do things. And the scene shows the first unsuspecting boy looking into her eye, and then there's this flash-forward scene of him as an old man falling off a ladder and dying. And then the next scene of the movie is the next friend looking unsuspectingly into her eye, and you see him in college in a frat house passing away. And then the movie scene turns to Edward. And the old lady has dropped the patch back down, and he stands there contemplating to himself, does he want to look at the eye underneath the patch or not? And I've always loved that scene in the movie because it's always made me wonder, what would I do if I was in Edward's shoes? Would I look or not? Would I want to see the end of my life and how it ends or not? Would I want to see how I died or not? And I'm sure even now, as, as I'm asking that question to myself, you too may be pondering, would you look or not? Would you want to know 
your future or not. And the reason why that movie scene has always resonated with me and and the reason those questions probably stir you as well is because it speaks to a deeper part of us that is curious and interested and intrigued by the end of life and the afterlife. Or to use language from this sermon series, it speaks to our soul. Now, as I mentioned earlier, for the last two months, Kevin and Johnny have been guiding us through this series on the soul. And to go back to that very first lesson that Kevin kicked off the sermon series with, when we talk about the soul, we're talking about that truest part of us. We're talking about the inner you, the internal and eternal you. And what was most helpful from that very first sermon to me was Kevin taking us all the way back to Genesis 2, to the garden, to the beginning of our souls. And he pointed out that passage where God creates man and then he breathes into him and he becomes a living being. And it's at that moment that something changes in humanity. That the beginning of our souls begin with the breath of God. And as Kevin said in that sermon, our souls originate out of, depend upon, and are sustained by the very breath of God. By knowing that beginning part of the story, we learn something significant about our souls. But the opposite is also true, and it's an appropriate place for us to end this sermon series this morning. By knowing the future of our souls, that also is significant for us to understand who we are and why we were created, and how we're called to live our lives now. And that's why I've picked our passage in Revelation 21 this morning, because in Revelation 21 this morning, John holds up for us a vision of our future. And it's important for us to gaze deeply at what he describes for us. In Revelation 21, we hear these words again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people's and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. One of the most helpful descriptions ever given to me and how to understand Revelation 21 and 22 uh, is that of a wedding ceremony or a marriage ceremony. That what we are witnessing when we see this vision of the future is this wedding ceremony between heaven and earth. 
that heaven and earth are coming together once and for all, and this new thing is being created. This new heavens and new earth is being created. And there's two really important things to notice about what John describes in this wedding ceremony for us. The first is that there will be things in the new heaven and new earth that are removed. Uh, Things that were a part of this experience of life that we had in the new heavens and the new earth, they will no longer be a part of our future. Things will be removed. There will be no more chaos. There will be no more violence. There will be no more tears and hurt and pain and uncertainty and doubt. Anything that is out of sync with the purposes of God will no longer continue into the future. So there's this sense in which there's discontinuity between this life and the next life for John. But the second big thing to notice about this wedding ceremony is that there is a sense of continuity. There is a sense in which things from this life will follow us into the new heavens and the new earth. To quote one author, what we're witnessing in, in Revelation 21 and 22 is not obliteration, but transformation. That yes, there will be things that are removed, but there will also be things that are renewed, made new again. And the one thing that I want us to see from this picture of John's future for us this morning happens in verse 3. Because he lets us know that in the new heavens and the new earth, God is coming to make his home fully present among us. That God is going to fully dwell with us once and for all, completely and fully and perfectly. That that yes, there is this marriage ceremony between heaven and earth, but there's also this marriage ceremony between us and God. Our souls are headed towards full union with God. Our souls are headed to this future life with God where we are perfectly and fully and completely united with the Lord. And that's this future vision of our souls that we need to see in Revelation 21 this morning because knowing that future, knowing that that's how our story ends, it shapes how we live in the here and now. To use a metaphor from just a few seconds ago, what it means is that our lives now become a kind of preparation for this marriage ceremony with God. A few weeks ago, Jessica and I were getting some pictures developed. We had some family pictures taken with Everly, uh, and we wanted to get those developed and put those around the house because any picture with Everly is a better picture than if it was just me by myself. Uh, and so we were getting some pictures developed, and as we were discussing, we were like, let's also go back and get some wedding pictures developed that we never got developed seven years ago. Uh, and so we picked out a few pictures, including this one behind me, and as we were looking through old pictures, we were reminiscing about that season of life. That's what happens when you pull out old pictures. Uh, And and what we were specifically talking about was the season right before this day happened. Uh, We got married on April 15th, 2012, so that I will never forget that date as long as I live because it's tax day. But we were engaged on November 11th, only six months 
earlier, November 2011, six months earlier. And so for six months, we were in uh, this really unique time called engagement season. Uh, and many of you have been there before. Some of you are in that season right now. It's this really unique time in a couple's life. Because when you're in engagement season, it feels like everything that you do is related to the wedding day preparation. That you do your work and you have your responsibilities, but kind of looming in the back of your head is the, the guest list that you have to make out, the wedding cake that you have to pick, picking out music for the post-wedding choreography that will happen. Some of you will get that later. It seems like there's all of these things that are floating in the back of your head. And so you're going about your daily life, but you're also thinking about the wedding. And there's all these preparations that are happening in light of this big wedding day that is to come. And I couldn't help but think about this season of our life and this season we sometimes call engagement season because it's a helpful reminder for us about how our lives are to be lived now. That our lives are to be lived as preparation for this big wedding ceremony with God that is to come. I like the way that John Ortberg talks about this point. He says this, God has placed eternity in the human heart. The Bible says the reason God has done that is that we were made for an eternal existence with him. And the most important thing we are doing in this life is preparing for the life that is to come. Now, as much as I like Ortberg's quote, uh, he will be quick to tell you that he did not get this insight for living from himself. Um, he got this insight from living from one of his key mentors, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard shaped John Ortberg's thinking so significantly that now John Ortberg says that anything he writes is basically paraphrasing what he learned from Dallas. And Dallas Willard was this giant in the Christian faith. He was a teacher, he was an author, he was a philosopher, uh, he was a disciple of Jesus. And it was that last description, disciple of Jesus, that was most important to Dallas. In fact, the way he has talked about discipleship and taught about discipleship has been one of the most significant influences in how I think about what it means to follow Jesus. Because for Dallas, being a disciple of Jesus was always about learning how to live our lives as if Jesus were in our place. That what it meant to be a disciple was to live our lives as if we were doing those experiences and jobs and responsibilities with Jesus. He taught this eternal companionship with our Master and Lord. And so John Ortberg would tell these stories about Dallas Willard, but some of his best stories are from right before Dallas passed away on May 8, 2013, at 77 years old due to pancreatic cancer. And Ortberg would often tell these stories about things that Dallas would say right before he died. But my favorite story and my favorite quote is about one day John and Dallas are sitting talking just a few weeks before he passes away. And they're sitting there in the quiet and seemingly out of nowhere, Dallas turns to John and he says this. 
think that when I die, it might be some time before I know it. I think that when I die, it might be some time before I know it. And the reason why Dallas could say something like that was because of how he had lived his entire life. He had lived his entire life as a preparation for his ultimate wedding day with God. That he had lived his life in a way that the longer he lived, the more he lived in deeper intimacy and union with the Father. So that line between this life and the next became increasingly thin. So that when he faced death's door, he knew that that transition would almost be seamless for him because he had lived in such deep union with the Father. That, that his soul had lived in such deep union with Jesus. So death no longer had its sting because he knew that he had victory in Jesus. And I couldn't help but think about this quote and this statement as I was preparing for this lesson because Dallas reminds us of what happens when we have a clear vision of our future. When we have a clear vision of where our story is headed, of where our soul is headed, then it shapes everything in our life here and now. When we know where our soul's headed, then we live differently in the here and now. Earlier, I mentioned Edward Bloom standing face to face with this infamous old lady in his neighborhood. And he stood there deliberating, would he look or not? Would he look or not? And he began to process out loud his decision. And he said, on the one hand, if I don't know, then you can end up spending your whole life worrying about death. But if you do know, then it can kind of help you because then you know you can survive anything. And so in the scene in the movie, he says to the lady, I guess I want to see. And so we don't get to see what he sees, but we see his face watching her as she flips up her patch and a series of light and scenes flash into his face. And then she flips down her patch and he casually says, huh, so that's how I go. And then as the movie pans to the very next scene, you can hear an older Edward narrating that moment from his childhood. He said, from then on, I no longer feared death. And for that fact, I was practically immortal. When we have a clear vision of our future, then it changes how we live in the here and now. And John, in Revelation 21, gives us a glimpse of our future with God. That as the people of God, we know our souls are secure, and so we now live our lives in a certain way. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to gaze deeply into this vision that John gives to us of our future. So we gaze deeply at this removal of chaos and evil. We gaze deeply at this removal of tears and mourning, and what we see is God coming to meet us fully and deeply and completely in this forever union with him. And so now we live our lives aiming for that goal. We live our lives striving for that future now. 
And day by day, in our daily activities, in companionship with Jesus, over time we learn how to live from Jesus and with Jesus. So that when we reach death's door, we can say with confidence, I think that when I die, it might be sometime until I know.